All right, welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Alark Purcell. And I'm Timothy Plain. So this is the listener episode, listener question episode uh, that for like our one year anniversary or whatever. So this is technically episode 53, but it's going to come out the same day as episode 52. This is a little thank you. We're doing two back to back. Uh, Timothy, how are you doing, man? Doing good. I'm excited to answer these listener questions. Um, since we uh, didn't really talk about our daily daily struggle in episode 52, and we have three <laughs> questions here, I mean, do you want to talk about anything, you, or how, how are you feeling? I do, but I don't. I mean, I do want to talk about it, but I don't want to take the time to do it, because <laughs> I feel like these questions are going to take all of our time up. All right. Well, I just want to be want to be fair to them. Want to be fair to the questions. Fair enough. Because if there if there's something you're dying to talk about and you don't want to wait until two weeks from now, let's talk about it. Not really. I mean, it's all just a bunch of bullshit. I mean, the lots of good things. Um, some things that are annoying, but uh, I can also talk about them <laughs> next week or the week after. Um, but here's okay. here's a fun idea. Like, let's just do the listener questions, and then like let's say we get done with them really early, and it's like way within an hour. Then maybe we can talk yeah. about some daily struggle afterwards. Okay, because it sounds like you're dying to talk to me about well, what's going on. With I just you. like doing it. I just think it's fun. Like that's one of my favorite okay. parts about the podcast. Just like what you doing, Timothy? Blah blah blah. <laughs> what you doing, Art? Blah blah blah. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, anyways, so do you want to read this first one? Sure. Let's see. The first one is an email from Claire Stefan. Um, she lives in Germany, and she wrote us and said she found our podcast and started binge listening a few weeks ago. And she sent us this question. I said, well, why don't we read it on the show? And she's like, sure, let's do it. So she she writes, I'm an aspiring screenwriter. I also want to direct, but right now and in my circumstances, it's more efficient to learn story through screenwriting. And I'm just going to chime in here. Yeah, because it doesn't cost you anything. Right. It's great. And Um, she's in a community where it's hard to make movies. So, you know, even, even better to focus on the writing. Did I say she's near Strasbourg? Yeah, she's like, did you say she's like on the French-German border or something like that? Right. Yeah, yeah, in some small town. So she says, I live in a city where nobody even knows the term screenwriting or filmmaking. So it's hard to make progress because I'm completely on my own and there are no workshops, no film schools or people who seem committed to the craft except for forums or blogs. Is there any possibility for me to get in touch with other filmmakers and screenwriters? Any advice on networking? Yeah. Well, I mean, she just said like what I would say, you know, like, you know, forums and blogs, you know, but she's looking for something more than that. I think Um, she's looking for, yeah, more personal relationship because the forum or blog, it's kind of like whoever's logged in answers your question, but maybe she wants more of like what we have over email. Well, I think the the best way to do that is to put yourself out there. And, you know, she she can't really make movies, but she can definitely write whatever she wants. So I would say, like, she should write a short film, put it out online somehow, and, and put it out on one of these forums or in a place where people can see it and ask for feedback. And then, you know, you'll get lots of opinions if you do something like that, I'm sure. So, <laughs> you know, I think that would be, like, the first step to, like, really meeting some new people and finding somebody that they may she may connect with. Um, we're both on that thing, Stage 32. And right. I think that's a place where you could totally post any kind of work and, you know, people will give you their opinion, you know. Um, I mean, but maybe she's also just looking for like a screenwriter friend, right? In, in which case, you're probably looking for somebody that shares a lot of your same beliefs and how to tell a story, or like kind of 
matches up with your genre so you feel like you have like a mutual respect that's hard i mean it's not it's not easy to find like i, I feel like i'm constantly looking for those people um yeah but I, i'd say like the way that i found Ulrich was i saw his short film or saw, saw pieces of his short film and i was like dude this guy's making films like me so like we should meet so i'd say if you can find some short films from people that you admire and respect then reach out to them find them they most people have websites that you can find their email address and just write them and say i saw your short i thought it was really cool i'm making some i'm writing similar types of stories i'd love for you to read my script and try to start a relationship based off of that um or uh, Zotrope has a screenwriter section on their website right, where yeah. you can post up a screenplay and then you get re- uh, reviews on it. And if you can post it up and get people to comment on your screenplay, that and you can you find somebody that you really like their advice or you like the way that they think, then you can engage them and try to you know build a friendship off of that. I would say the most important thing is not just to find a screenwriter or a filmmaker but find people that you really admire and respect because you'll learn more from them than just you know the generic person yeah and reach out to more than one because like you know if you reach out to two people or three people like maybe they are all too busy to get back to you or whatever but if you reach out to 10 people then eventually someone's going to respond you know so you, i would just but, you, but you're right you can't just be anybody it has to be people that you actually want to talk to about talk to and who have um work that you're actually interested in that match up with the kinds of things that you're trying to write, you know? So I would definitely put the time in to like, just search through for those people. Um, also, and it's not easy. No, it's definitely not. I mean, geez, like we live in, in major <laughs> cities and it's near impossible to find a writing partner who you can really connect with. You know, like yeah. I, I only know one person in my whole life who I actually collaborate well with. And, uh, you know, he decided to be an architect and not a filmmaker. So he screwed me. Um, you know, I mean, not to say I don't collaborate with other people well too, but I mean, I really mean like as like a co-writer or even a co-director type sort of thing. Like he is the only one who I could really do that with so far. And, uh, yeah. But I mean, it's just, it's really, really, really difficult, you know, it's really challenging to find those kinds of close relationships. Um, I'd also say like websites like Inktip and what's the other one called? Shadow Facts or Shadow Fox or, you know, Script Shadow? Script Shadow. Yeah, Script yeah, Shadow. Script Shadow is more, yeah, like the forum based one. It was like uh, one guy does, I guess it's like a team now, it does like blog posts on screenplays and then you can comment on like their write ups. Um, you might be able to find people through that. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure you're already going to a lot of those sites, but I think doing that as well is also a really good place. Like, you know, I, I already talked about this on the show a, lo- a long time ago, but I was looking for a mentor for the longest time and not having any luck. And then I, uh, you know, went over to John August's blog because I used to read his blog in college. And then that's when I found out that he had a, a podcast. And so I started listening to the podcast and that podcast kind of became my mentor for, you know, a year when I listened to every single Script Notes podcast episode ever, you know, from one all the way through whatever it is now, like 280 or whatever it is. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like it is just a forum. It is just a blog. It is just a podcast. But I think you can get a lot out of those. Like you can get a lot of mentorship and lots of, you know, information from those things that are very, very usable and very tangible that you can like, you know, Mm -hmm. go off and and become a better writer or or start writing or whatever you want to do, you know? Yeah, I think that's that's good. You have to 
define for yourself what you're looking for because I'm in the same boat where for a long time I I wanted a mentor like someone that was like way above my expertise so I could learn from them and you know reading books listening to podcasts with interviews on them um, the Q&A with Jeff Goldsmith was one that I really liked it pretty much anytime I could hear a filmmaker talk I would like listen to them talk even if it was a movie that I was that interested in sometimes they would say stuff and just kind of build up my knowledge that way but if you're really looking for like a personal relationship I think it's it's not easy and I think you need to pick somebody that's kind of at the same level as you so you guys can grow and learn from each other it's it's harder to convince somebody who's like far above you to like take you on as like a mentor right right unless they really like what you're doing um but yeah I feel like the the most valuable filmmaking friendships I've had has always been like filmmakers that are at the same level as me trying to figure things out so we can really bounce off of each other and like share our experiences. Yeah. And then to fill in the gaps of like what professionals do, uh, it's really just been kind of like books and podcasts. Yeah. But I think finding somebody who's, you know, I think it's great to have peers that, that you can learn from, you know, like I obviously learn a ton from Timothy, you know, but, um, I mean, I think it's also good to find somebody who's maybe like two steps ahead of you, who've mm-hmm. like kind of done what you've wanted to, what you want to do, like in the last year or so. And then you can learn from that person really well because they'll, they'll, you know, be close enough to you where they'll feel like they, they actually can help you and mentor you, you properly. But also like, you know, it, it their information is super valid. Like if I got Francis Ford Coppola to be my mentor, it would probably be useless. Like he he wouldn't have (laughs) any, yeah, he wouldn't, well, not even too far. It's like what, what he did, what I'm trying to do now, he did in the seventies or the sixties. And like that, his advice would not be applicable to today. Like he would, it would just not be like, you basically need to find, like I have to find like Ryan Johnson even, or maybe he might even be too far ahead of me. Cause like right. he did his thing in like the early two thousands. And like, that's Andrew a different, Schrader. Yeah. Andrew Schrader. He's like the perfect mentor for me because he's like, he just, he's just been doing what I, what I want to do. And he's, you know, he's doing things now that I want to be doing. So it's like, yeah, he's a perfect person to to talk to and learn from, you know, and, and other people like that. But I mean, if you're to go on the bigger scale, like, um, it would be like guys like John Watts or Jeremy Saulnier, who you'd really like, that would be like, if you're going to have a mentor who could be the biggest, best ever. Like, I think those are the kind of people that I would reach out to because right. they're like, you know, they just had their first and second features come out. And they're like doing extremely well, you know? So for Claire, let's say Claire's never written a screenplay. I think she should find somebody that's only just written a screenplay. Right. Not somebody with a screenplay that's been produced into a movie that's just, that just has a finished screenplay, like just a step away from where she wants to be. If she tries to pursue somebody who's like made a bunch of features, is getting paid to, to write screenplays, like they probably won't give her the time of day. But if it's really just simply somebody who's like finished a screenplay and has it out of the world, maybe that's the right person. Yeah, exactly. Or somebody who's like, you know, directed one short film who like lives in an area that is small like hers, who doesn't, you know, there aren't a lot of resources and it's really hard to do things in this small isolated area. Like find somebody who's in a place like that, wherever it is, if it's like in Idaho or something, 
you know, who's like writing movies and made a movie and like just doing it with whatever they can try to find those people because, you know, they'll, that, that their, their, their like experience will be really similar to your experience, you know, just to recap, like some of the places where we think you can find those people, uh, Alric and I found each other on, uh, Slated. Yep. Uh, stage 32 is a good kind of open filmmakers community. Mm hmm. Uh, Script Shadow we mentioned mm-hmm. Zotrope which is Francis Ford Coppola's company has like a little screenwriter section on that website that you can sign into yep what else what else is there well I would say if she's looking for like a filmmaker who's made short films that she can um, you know kind of learn from like you could go to the Ain't It Cool News Saturday Shorts um, mm-hmm. like thing and like you know that guy he puts every Saturday short up like you know whatever listing he's ever done on the bottom of each one. So you, she could go and look at every single, you know, like list of 10 shorts and watch all of them for like two years. So she could just go through that and find people, yeah, find you know, some short films you like, and then reverse search those people and, and find out where they are. Right. They, they're willing to talk to you. Yeah. The other thing is or film Germany, Germany is not a big country, right? So yeah, it, it seems like every country in Europe is pretty small. So there's, got to be some film festivals in and around Germany that you can go to watch some films. And if you like a film that you see the filmmakers, a lot of times are there. And so go talk to them yeah, and, and make a business card and exchange business cards and stay in touch and just start yeah, building your network slowly. Yeah. I don't know you can. Yeah. I don't know how far she is from Berlin, but like Berlin has a few really great film festivals. And I think that community is probably like the kind of community that has a lot of filmmakers as a part of it. I don't really know. Cause I I've only been to Berlin once and I didn't go out to see what kind of filmmaking things are going on. But I imagine mm-hmm. that that's a place where you could find a lot of filmmakers. Um, but I don't know how far or how close that is to where she lives. It's probably hours away. 52 kilometers. What's that in miles? <laughs> uh, an hour by car. Oh, is it really? Oh, wow. Super close then. Just hop on over to Berlin, yo. What's going on? <laughs> Berlin's see, the shit, there, by the way, too. It's such a cool 52 place. minutes by train. Wow. There's an, there's an S. I don't know what the S means, but there's an S train from, yeah, Strasbourg, near Strasbourg to Berlin. Man, come on. She's got to go to it. Berlin, man. Just, just go over there. We're probably making this sound much easier than it is for her. Yeah, so totally. We're, we're sorry. But I know, th- those we're are jerks. some of the ideas that we have. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully that's helpful. <laughs> um, oh yeah. And I was going to say, yeah, film shortage and shorter of the week. Those are also places to find short films. Although I kind of feel like a lot of the short films on there are from filmmakers who are maybe a little bit more established or a little bit bigger, you know, some like at least now it seems like it's going in that direction. Um, but it's probably still a good place to find some really good people who are you know might be able to help you out i'm just doing a a search here for a second strasburg short film i just want to see what comes up nothing the strasburg european fantastic film festival oh there's a film festival in her town that she didn't know about is that true it's an annual film festival held in strasburg france so it might be on the other side of the border Mm. i don't know how that works yeah 
Maybe or maybe either. that that is the town she lives in. She said it was on the, the border of France and Germany. Right, yeah. Well, Claire, there are some ideas for you. Maybe it's not all your <laughs> your problems solved necessarily, but I mean, I think there's some good places for you to start. And uh, you should check in with us. Like, let us know how it goes. Like, you know, what does your research bring back? Did you meet any awesome filmmakers based on our advice? Like, you know, have you written anything since that you've you've reached out to us? Like, just let us know. You know, we'd love to hear. Yeah. We're here for you. You're one of us now. You are one of us. Just by engaging, you are now one of us. Welcome to the fold. Yeah, totally. Uh, Should we go to the next question? Yeah. So this is Damien Harris, and I believe he's Australian. Is that correct? Uh, How do you know that? He mentions like there are places for short films to be shown on Australia TV, community television. Mm -hmm. And so that made me think that he's Australian. He might not be actually Australian. He could be from anywhere, but like just interested in Australian television for some reason. (laughs) But I, 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 but just that makes me think that he's in Australia. But, uh, if you're not in Australia, you let us know, um, where you're from. But I'm just going to go with Australia for now. And plus, Damien, for some reason, like Damien, you know, like could just oh, right. see it being an Australian name. I don't know. Now I sound like an idiot. But here's, <laughs> here's this question. <laughs> I know that you guys are getting more advanced in your creative efforts and are looking to visually make features and have had enough of shorts. Do you think that keeping yourself in the game of shorts will help you attract some higher grade on-screen talent for when the features come around? Increasing the quality of your bodies of work in shorts would have to be considered an investment in your features. What do you think of this, Timothy? Wow, he's calling us out. Yeah. Um, well, I think there's a. I think he's right. I mean, I'll just start with that. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's right. But at the same time, there's a certain point where the short films are going to get in the way of you making a feature. And I've seen this happen a little bit with Ulrich, where <laughs> my, both brother and the rage are like taking you longer than you thought that they would oh yeah you know where there's supposed to be like month-long projects that then end up turning into like six months to a year right totally so that's that's the only danger is like yeah it's great to keep working on shorts and like hone your craft but if it's taking up all your time and you don't have and you there's no room left anymore to to keep or to focus on your feature film then it's really it's actually detracting from your ultimate goal Right. Well, I would just say to to answer this is that I hope he's right. Because, I mean, that was sort of the whole, you know, idea behind all the shorts I've made and that we've made is that increasing the quality of our bodies of work in shorts would be an investment in getting our features made. And that's the idea. I don't know if it's actually going to be true, though. Like, I don't know if um, Strange Thing and Brother and The Rage and the Zombie versus Drone thing are actually going to help me get my features made. I mean, that's what I'm gambling on, but uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think, he's, I think he might be hinting that we're not ready to stop directing shorts. Oh, really? That we that we need to get better? <laughs> yeah, I think he's trying to say, like, you guys should keep going. You're not quite, you're not quite ready. You're not there it. yet. You gotta, like, you gotta make a short that gets into South by Southwest or Sundance or whatever before you can make your feature. And Maybe I mean there are different paths for everyone. I've heard I've heard about short films that did really well at festivals that then got turned into features. Like um, the one that comes most recently in mind is The Pact, which is uh, a horror film. Right, and they uh, released the short at Sundance, and a year later he came back with a feature film version of it. Yeah, or Whiplash. Um, mm-hmm. Whiplash is a good one, but Whiplash or- I think they were already considering making a feature before they 
made the short. Right. Well, and then, and then I think someone said, like, make the short version first. And, and right. then they did that. Like a proof of concept. But the pact was really just a short film. But then some uh, producers came up to the filmmaker after it screened and said, oh, do you have a feature script for it? And he's like, yeah, yeah. But he didn't. Right. And he, he, he wrote it really quick. I mean, that same thing happened to John Watts with Clown. Like, did you, did, I don't know if you read about this, but, uh, he made a, a little fake trailer for this movie called The Clown. And he, him and his friends, like, said it was directed by Eli Roth, you know, and just sort yeah, of put funny. it on, online as a joke or whatever. And then yeah. Eli Roth called them and they're like, hey, do you have a feature version for this clown thing? <laughs> and they said, oh, yeah, no problem. Then they just wrote it, you know, because they had nothing. And then, yeah, that movie got made. And that was John Watts, I think, his first movie that he, like, feature that he directed. Um, That's funny. And then he did Cop Car and now he's doing Spider-Man. So, you know, I mean... But I also would say that, like, you could make shorts forever and and never get anywhere. Like, we could just keep on making shorts, and they could get better, better, and better, and better, and, like, be greater, bet whatever. And, mm. you know, and they you could... just become a short guy. Yeah, but they could also never get into Sundance. They could never get into South by Southwest. They could never get in Tribeca. And we'll be right. in the same position we are now, but just with a bunch of more shorts done. And I feel like at some point, like, if you want to be a feature film director, you just have to make feature films. Like, there's no getting around it, you know? Mm-hmm. And maybe the first one's not going to be the best movie in the whole world or as good as you want it to be, but at least you'll have made it, you know? And hopefully it's good enough to get the money to make the next one. You know, but yeah. I just can't just go around making shorts anymore because they're too, they're too expensive. Um, they don't make any money. And <laughs> <laughs> like I, I've done a bunch of them and I love doing shorts. I have lots of ideas for other movies that I think would only be shorts, but I just think that without a return on the investment, I just can't be doing it anymore. And not saying that the feature is a guaranteed return on investment, but I think the chance of making money on a feature is way higher than a short you know, even if it is still low. So I th- I think that's the only place I can go. Like I have to go in that direction, you know? So specifically he's asking if uh, upping your game with shorts will help you attract higher grade on-screen talent, which I would say, yeah, that's a lot of times the goal. And that's exactly what Ulrich did. I mean, Strange Thing got him the attention of the comedian that he has to be in his his short film in um, Brother, but had he not had Strange Thing, do you think Capone would have said yes? Uh, I think Capone probably would have said yes, because I don't even know if he watched Strange oh, Thing until after, well. you know, until after he'd already agreed to do it. But, um, <laughs> okay. but uh, you know, I, I think like my producer who, who, who produced Brother wouldn't have produced Brother with, with Strange Thing hadn't exist. And he probably wouldn't even have brought me on to produce, uh, to direct the Zombie vs. Drone if he didn't like Strange Thing so much, you know? So, um, so yeah, I feel like Strange Thing definitely got me a lot in that, in that regard. Yeah. I think know? that's a good point because uh, I don't, I think maybe sometimes you think it's all about like the person in front of the camera, the actor, but a lot of times I think short films just help attract people to your projects that are behind the camera right dps and producers and art directors like yeah every you know showing that you've done something before like especially in a world where a lot of people talk about making films if you've proven that you've actually brought one to life and out into the world it definitely helps your chances of getting people to say yes to help you out 
for cheap or free on on a, a film project. Yeah, and then the, the fact that you have multiple shorts, I think, is also just prove a track record that you you've made a movie and that you've made more movies and that you're continuing to make movies. I think that's also important, you know. And um, you know, I'm not saying my shorts are the best, amazing thing in the whole world, but I feel like they do do a good job of communicating what kind of filmmaker I am and. I feel like showing that, showing my work to anybody, like any movie star, any producer, any DP or whatever, like I'm confident in doing that and saying, this is what I've done. Uh, you know, trust me, let's make a movie together. Like I feel like maybe they won't necessarily, you know, buy into that. And maybe it's, it's, they won't love them, all the movies, you know, but I feel like there's a chance that they'll like at least one of them enough to give me a shot, you know, at least take me seriously, you know. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of feel like he's asking this question and I'm sort of like, yeah, I do agree. And I feel like I've done that. <laughs> and, and I feel like <laughs> that we've both made shorts and that, um, you know, and we have, I feel like we have, in, have increasing quality of our shorts of each short. I think each short we've made, the next one is bet looks better than the last one. So I kind of feel like we have that track record you know, to say that we're ready to do a feature based off the shorts that we've done. And that, I mean, maybe we could get better and better and making more and more and whatever, whatever. But I think at some point you just need to do it. You need just, you just need to take the leap to features. Um, yeah. I don't know. What do you, you think? Say, yeah. And I, I feel like I've gotten to the point where, yeah, I could keep going with shorts and keep trying to perfect that storytelling. And I feel like I could get better at it, but I feel like I have the skills to transfer over to a feature now and the big leap for me is is really comes down to the um, the length of the story you know and telling a story over a long period of time and the mechanics of making a feature versus a short are exactly the same like all the all the variables are exactly the same between a short and a feature so and I feel like I've proven to myself that I can do that so now it's just a matter of like taking on something bigger. Yeah. And I think like telling a longer story over an hour and a half versus a 10 minute, 15 minute short, it's a completely different beast. Right. If I got really good at telling a story over 20 minutes, then that doesn't necessarily translate to telling a really good story over an hour and a half. Exactly. I remember the Duplass brothers um, got really good at making shorts and they were saying like, yeah, the, the leap from short film to feature film was huge and it was scary because they got so good at making shorts they weren't really sure how to make a feature yeah exactly so i just sort of feel like you know you just got to take the plunge you know i mean we we could keep on making these shorts or whatever and i mean i i will always make shorts probably i'll probably after i make my fir- my first feature i'll probably do a short after that you know um Maybe who knows what, when the timeline will be, but I, I mean, I just love the format of a short film. So I think it'll always be something that I do. The one thing I'll say about short films that I like better than features is it's a lot easier, I think, to find an audience for them. Oh, yeah. Because you, you can just kind of put them up online and people will kind of dive in and, wa- and start watching it. Whereas I've never, I've only, let's see, have I ever watched a feature online? Well, I'm sure I, people have features on YouTube, but I've never gone to go like watch a feature on YouTube. Well, we have though for because people have asked us to, but yeah, like screeners, that, right? Yeah, yeah, or yeah, that's true. But I feel like the finding an audience for a feature is 
definitely a harder task because you're asking people to give up an hour and a half or two hours of their lives. And kind of the dream we all have is doing is showing them at movie theaters, which is a whole other aspect of like getting a film out of the world. That's just, it's huge. It's, it's hard to, right. to get people to, to allow you to release your film in a theater. And if you, even if you try to do it yourself, how are you going to uh, market it and get people to go and watch it? Right. So I feel like that's the whole other challenge with features. Yeah. And I feel like you and I trying to do features in this day and age is kind of like almost stupid. feels like everyone's going <laughs> after TV. Right. 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 Well, I mean, I don't know, man. I just, that's where my heart is. And that's where my heart is too. If someone came to me and were like, yeah, we love the script that you've written for the alternate, but we think it would make a great, you know, 10 hour uh, or 10 episode, one hour chunk episode, like, whatever Netflix show or something, I would be like, fuck yeah, let's do it. Like I'll, I'll sign me up, but, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to structure it like that beforehand and sell it that way because I just, it's just not in me to do it that way for some reason, mm -hmm. you know, but if someone What's wants wrong to take, with us? I don't know, but if someone wanted to take the, sh the feature and be like, Hey, let's have you thought about it this way? Like, could you, give me a outline for, you know, a 10 story arc or a 10 episode arc with, with this on this story, then I would gladly jump into it, you know, but, uh, but no one's done that yet. So, uh, <laughs> Netflix and Amazon prime, where you at, yo, <laughs> hook me up. <laughs> I don't think it works that way. I think you have to just structure it and then go sell it to people. Maybe. I don't know. Does yeah. it, has it worked that no, way? Yeah. I don't think people are just going to come find you. I don't think anyone's going to find you, but I, what I have heard is that people trying to sell, um, you know, feature length scripts have gotten like, you know, you know, either they're through agents or managers or through whatever, even companies have been like, well, this is a great, cool story. And, but then they take it to something else after, you know? <laughs> right. Well, there's a, a screenwriter that I know because I like to screenplay a lot. I wasn't able to get it, but I kept in touch with him and he moved to LA and got an agent. And the first thing he did off of that feature was start writing TV pilots. Oh, really? And it's like, that's what's going on now. I feel like a lot of people are talking about TV pilots. I mean, the writer of Over My Dead Body is now like trying to develop that into a TV show. Um, my friend Jose, who finished his feature years ago, and his next project is a TV show. I feel like so many people are talking about TV shows. It's like, because short format content is now like the, the next big thing and features are dying. And I hear all that and I'm just like, I, that doesn't change my mind. I still want to go after features. Yeah. Like, I don't know why. That's just like, that's where my heart is. I love self-contained stories that are an hour and a half long. They like, they, they do something for me that TV doesn't do, that short films don't do. And I want to do that. And maybe after I do that, then I'll be like, all right, I've done that. Now I'm now time to go on to virtual reality. That's where I want to tell my next story. Right. But right now I just, I want to tell a feature story. Yeah. Me too. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna fight for that and go after that. If it turns into something else, that's great too, you know. But uh, I I just for whatever reason I just can't come to write out like a ten episode story arc and then here's the first episode pilot. Like I just I can't do that for some reason. I don't know. I haven't really tried, but like I just think about that and it just doesn't interest me. You know? Right. It's not the thing that drives you. Right. So to answer your question, Damien, um, do you think that keeping yourself in the game with shorts will help you attract higher grade talent? Yeah, we do. But right now we're just not dedicating the time and energy into it. But 
who I'm open for anything over the next year. There could be a short film that just grabs my attention that I, I just have to do, or somebody comes to me with a, a short script that wants me to direct it and I have to do it right now. I'm not interested, but anything's possible. I'm open to anything. I'd say if someone came to me with a short script that they wanted me to direct and they had the budget, no problem. Like that's fine, you know, or if someone right. even just came to me like we, I want to produce a short film. Do you have anything? Yeah. I've got like three short film scripts. I'd be, I would love to make right now, but, uh, I, I, I can't put my own money into them anymore and I can't make it my own thing right now. I have to right. just focus on the feature. That's just all I can do. We just do. can't keep spending $30,000 every year until we make it because we'll go broke. Right, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm officially not allowed to spend any more money on personal projects. <laughs> and so if I, <laughs> a, any, any money I'm spending on the alternate has to be raised. So I'm, I'm like spending a little bit money on, uh, a little bit of money on the poster, but I, mm. it can't be my own money. I have to raise it. So I, I think I have a lead to get me the money to pay for my poster. But, uh, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I just can't do it on my own anymore. It's just, you know, I'm not, it's wife rules, you know, like no more personal money into features or to into, into films. It's like, yeah, I get it. I spent $60,000 or whatever over a few years. Like yeah, that, that could have been a down payment on a house, you know? <laughs> just to like talk about that for a second, because I feel like people don't plan on spending that much. It right. just kind of happens. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, like, like I didn't, I didn't spend, like I probably spent, the same amount of money. Yeah, easily the same amount of money. And it's not like I went into it thinking I was going to spend that. It's just like a little bit here, a little bit there. Oh, you need like just a tiny bit more to finish your film. You just have to keep going until it's done and it all adds up. Quickly. Yeah, totally. It just it just grows and grows. And then, you know, you want to say yes to opportunities. Like, you know, I got into 20 film festivals and I wanted to go to as many as I can. So I spent, mm -hmm. you know, all that money on plane tickets, gas, hotels, you know, all that stuff. And I mean, that was easily $10,000 right there just on, you know, the expenses to get to all the film festivals. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just like, it just costs a lot of money. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, do you think we answered that question properly? Oh yeah, thoroughly. Thoroughly and properly. All Damien right. right now is regretting he ever asked it. Yeah, and Damien, seriously, let us know if you're in Australia. And also, be honest, bro. Like, were you actually taking a dig at us? Was that like, yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, your short films aren't there yet. Have you figured about like, you know, was it that was that what you you meant, or were you just curious about like, you know, whatever? Or have you even even seen all our shorts? Like, did you even know that I made three shorts and that Timothy's made three shorts? Like. You know, I don't know. Let us know. Just out of curiosity. Yeah, just curious. Okay, question number three from our buddy Lucas Colshaw. He's been all over our Twitter feed lately. Lucas, we really appreciate you. We were just talking about you in between episodes, actually. Yeah, you're the best, man. We really appreciate the little tweets and messages and everything. It, it really brightens the day every time that we hear from you. It's pretty yeah. awesome. What do you consider your biggest failure on one of your films and what did you learn from it? Ooh, boom. That's a big one. I mean, that's a, a such a great question because I think this is this is probably a question every filmmaker should be asked in an interview. Right, exactly. I love this because it is the it's, it is from failure that you learn your most oh, valuable absolutely. lessons, I think, right? So you want to start? Yeah. Well, I got one from each of my movies um, and I was trying to decide like which one to, to talk about. 
but maybe I'll just talk about both. Um, but I'll do one first and then, you know, you can do one. I think that's good. Like, cause I, I was trying to think about the biggest failure, but I think you're right. Every movie you fail at something and that, that you, you learn something from it. Biggest failure though, I guess, you know, you have to think about what's the thing that really changed the game. Like every, mm. you know, your, your failures, I think kind of move things slightly in a different direction but is there any failure that you've had that kind of like switched your approach like 360 or 360 180 degrees <laughs> well i mean yeah uh well the closest one would be the strange thing one but i mean i don't mm-hmm. think it really switched my approach 180 degrees uh by any means but uh but I mean, what I'm talking about is this whole opening, um, of Strange Thing. And there is the, the shot of the wall in the background. And, um, basically you can't really see that we built this big wall to cover the door. And I have like a three shots, two shots of it. And, and either one, it's just such a small part of the frame that you just, it just goes unnoticed. And, uh, I originally had, had like a few other shots to highlight the door, um, or the, the wall where the door isn't, you know, and, uh, I just picked the wrong one. Like I should have, instead of doing the couch one, which was, you know, the one that we ended up doing in the movie, I should have done the one that replicated, uh, the shots that is throughout the movie from the kitchen table. And, uh, you know, basically it'd be a shot from like them eating dinner over the same shoulder of Chris at the doorway that you, which is the big reveal of the doorway in, in the later scene. And that should have been the shot that we used. Cause that clearly shows the wall and you could see the whole wall that we built. But I just was so in love with this dolly on the couch that that was the decision I made at the time. And it was the wrong decision. It was absolutely the wrong decision. So you're talking about from a storytelling perspective, showing that there wasn't a door there and then a door appeared, you failed at doing that. Yeah, I completely failed at doing that. Like people, Which was a huge aspect of your story. Yeah, even to this day, people will tell me when they see the movie, like I didn't quite understand um, what I was supposed to be looking at and the the shot of the the wedding picture. Like, did the picture change? Did the wall (laughs) behind them? I don't really understand. I know it was something I was supposed to be paying attention to, but I don't really understand what. And it's like, well, the, uh, the thing was that the wall... Is, there's a, there's a, there's no door there behind it, and then later there's a door there, and it just didn't read because it was too tight of a shot, and it didn't clearly show what it needed to to, to show. And where you can see it in a wider shot is from that dolly, but it's so far in the background, so far out of focus, you can you can't even see it. Like you can see it if you look for it, but you know. It's just, it was just, a, it was just a big fuck up on my, on my part. And I basically, so now you when know, you see these moments in your scripts, do you realize like how big of a deal that they are? Like if it's a big plot point like that, are you thinking about, all right, now how can I visually show that transition? Yeah. It's, it's more like making sure that things read, you know, and that like, even though it's there in real life, or even though you know that you've got it in the frame, making sure that when you look at that frame, is it actually reading and asking yourself that question? Because I don't think I ever asked myself that question while we were doing that scene. I didn't, I was just focusing on performance and, and, and the, the steadiness of the, of the dolly. I wasn't thinking like about, can you actually see the wall in the background? And that, that's the whole point of that, that shot. That's the whole purpose of that shot is to show the wall in the background. That's the whole reason that shot's in the movie. And it doesn't do that. 
it, right people are like well, why am i looking at this photo yeah people are, that that was like my uh, attempt to to save it in the end was to really focus long on that photo because that's all i had um but it was really that you know when people watch the dolly shot on the couch they're just enjoying the characters and it's just like oh they're watching a movie and they're saying something funny oh that's whatever that's what they're mm. focusing on. They're not focusing on the back of the wall, which is what the whole point of that shot's <laughs> supposed to be. Um, so I just completely fucked it up, you know. And uh, how I, I've learned, what I've learned from that, what I've changed about that, I think is just that, like thinking about the purpose of each shot and what is it doing in the movie, and what is it, what is it, why is it there, and is it doing what it's supposed to be doing? You know, is it fulfilling its purpose? And mm-hmm. I feel like I've I thought about that really a lot with Brother. And also with the rage, like, why is this shot in the movie? And like, what are we, what is it trying, what am I trying to say? What am I trying to communicate to the audience with this shot, you know, with this frame even, you know? And I did that with, uh, I think I did that. I tried to do that with brother. I don't know if I succeeded, but I think the lessons I learned from strange thing, I did try to take into brother and make sure that everything that you're showing has a, that has a purpose and is, is fulfilling its purpose. And I still screwed up in brother with that too. And that, that's my second mess up but uh but i don't know i think probably the biggest lessons that you learn in the early films is how audiences perceive something or how they watch stuff right because you you know you really are directing what they're looking at so or how they understand the story I've, i've had very similar situations happen on a lot of my early films um one of my fail, the biggest failure I feel to me was actually something that I knew might be a failure, but I wanted to experiment with it. The the movie I did called The Lost Coast was an experiment to see like how much could the audience fill in with what they brought to the movie and how much did I have to say. And so I purposefully wrote a pretty ambiguous script that didn't have a lot of information about the characters and the their backstory and why they were on this beach together. And I tried to tell everything through subtext and acting and I kind of put stuff in the, the actors heads about what the backstory was. So like we had really figured out like who they were, why they were there. And I was convinced that by doing that, that the audience wouldn't necessarily understand what the backstory was or who these characters were, but they would feel like some depth, and that they would, that the, these characters would kind of jump off the screen as like real human beings. Because in life, we're not sitting there talking like we do in movies. We don't like expositionally say something, you know, to, to ground an audience and where, why we're in a certain place. So I think it was kind of like also based off of that, that idea of, um, I want to say coolish, cool there's an effect that some like Russian guy came up with that like it was just the same shot of a guy's face intercut with different things like his face intercut with a crying baby his face intercut with a plate of food and each time you know the audience is like oh he looks so sad with you know when you cut with a crying baby oh he looks so hungry when you cut to the food that like the idea of what the shots say it kind of like is created in the audience's mind because the actor's performance didn't change it was really just all kind of created so i was experimenting with like how much does an audience just like create that stuff and then what ended up happening was everyone was just really confused 
They had mm. no idea what was going on. Right. None of that subtext made it through. It, you know, it's really proved to me that if it's not on the page, it's not on the screen, which is something you hear all the time, but I had to like prove it to myself because I didn't really believe it. Yeah. And so it's a failure on one aspect because it didn't work, but at the same time, it was a success because it was what I, exactly what I wanted to try is what I did. Yeah, and you learned from it. And, you, and I learned from it. Yeah. And then the next film I did was Man's Best Friend, which is almost like, um, it's not the opposite, but it was taking what I learned from that and how audiences perceive films and then messing with that perception and misleading the audience for the first half of the film and to drop a reveal on them. Right. And I and I knew I feel I felt like I knew I could do that because of what uh I guess because of what I learned on the Lost Coast. I don't know exactly how, but I think I was able to succeed at Man's Best Friend because of my failure on the Lost Coast. Yeah, like well you understood that like you you know, you had to like just show and tell the audience rather than let mm-hmm. them feel with you, you know. Right. Whereas the Lost Coast didn't lead people anywhere. It kind of allowed them to to make stuff up. Man's best friend was very deliberate and yeah. I led the audience like every step of the way and I I knew what I wanted them to think and feel at different points in the movie and I felt like I succeeded in doing that because uh I understood that leading the audience is what causes a reaction. Yeah, absolutely. Um do you have another one or is that the the main one? Uh I have a lot of failures, but that's probably like the main one because I I feel like from that movie I was able to really it was like a 180 degree change from this more artistic um impressionistic style to something that's a little bit more controlled and it made me believe a lot more in like story and structure and leading the audience rather than doing the Shane Carruth like you come up with your own conclusions like I I I used to really like those movies where it's like you come up with your own conclusions and then after doing it myself, I realized that's actually kind of a cop out. Huh, yeah, you well, know, letting pe- letting people come up with their own conclusions is it's good and it's bad, and you have to kind of know um, you have to be deliberate about it. I think it's a little easier to leave things open ended and allow people to kind of fill in the blanks, and it's harder, I think, to lead them and get an emotional reaction. Yeah. I think it's cool to like, you know, have an idea of what you're trying to say and like what you feel like the story's about, you know, and like what you want the audience to feel. But I think it's also fun for there to be multiple ways to interpret it too, you know? Like I I like that there's both. Um and I feel like I kind of do that or I've kind of done that in my films, like sort of yeah. had my idea of what I'm tr- think it's about and what I think I'm saying, but then also like leave it open for like, you know, people can take whatever they want from it, you know, and apply whatever they think is going on to it, you know, and, and I can say, hey, yeah, maybe that that could be right too, you know, like. No. I think there's good and bad versions of that. I mean, the, one of the good versions is at the end of Inception where you don't know if the, the top topples over or not Mm -hmm. i think that's a great ambiguous ending you don't know for sure you know i'm sure nolan and his brother like know exactly what happens at the end but as an audience member you're kind of left hanging and to me that just like leaves you with that question of like what does this movie mean Mm -hmm. Um, rather than it being fed to you so i think it's like this there's a little 
bit of a fine line to walk where you don't want to give people all the answers, but you also don't want to make it so ambiguous that they walk out going, what the fuck? What was that? I didn't understand it at all. So it's like knowing how to play with those is like, I think where the, you know, the expert filmmakers are, it's like Nolan is pretty good at great at that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he can give you, you know, just a tease of like, Maybe, maybe not, you know, and then let you decide. But also, sort of, yeah, like have given you enough information throughout the movie to to hopefully instruct what you think is real and what you think is not real, you know. But I love that 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 ending that you didn't really see either way, you know. Yeah, I love that ending too. I mean, I, almost all my movies kind of end in similar ways. Mm. I feel like I'm always letting the audience make a decision a little little bit of a decision about like what happened at the end mm-hmm. um, or leave it open-ended to feel like the story is going to continue on beyond like the in and out points that I've decided. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, strange thing, like you kind of, you know, very clearly I say like, Oh yeah, this guy is, is not who we think he is, you know, mm-hmm. but we don't really know what happens next. Cause it just cuts from there. Like there's, there's a lot of <laughs> right. different things. Uh, brother is a little bit more defined. Like it's like, yep, that's what that is. That's what they are. Mm-hmm. You know what exactly they are? It's not really clear, but it's like no. that. They will but be the story's over. There's the story's not... over. Yeah, right. Or at exactly. least that chapter of their lives is complete. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I'm I'm just gonna briefly mention what my other failure is, just because I want to. Um, and that's in brother, and basically just the food, like. The food was a big part of the whole story and like it was supposed to be this thing that was like kind of hinting and always there, like that they're always eating at some point or another. And they are always eating, like they're eating in every scene, but uh, it's so subtle, you know, like because the food, the food itself doesn't look big and meaty and large, like because the food that we got just wasn't very impressive looking. And it was for a variety of reasons. One, cause I had the production designer also be the food stylist. And that's a mistake I'll never make again. If I, if food's a major part of the story, I'm going to get a food stylist to just worry about the food and have the production designer just do the production design, you know, not try to have them do both. Like that's just, it just doesn't work. Oh, that's so funny. I didn't, I didn't really catch that, but I remember now when they're at the lake shore. She's like, "You gonna finish that sandwich?" Yeah, and I cut right? that line. Uh, You're gonna finish that just because uh, yeah. it didn't work timing wise. But they're still eating those things, but they're just not that big, and they just don't <laughs> really end up being in frame at all or very much. And you know, that's just one of those things that I would have. You know, and if they were big and beautiful and gorgeous looking, the close-ups that I got would have probably been used because they just would have looked better. But the close-ups that I have of them, it, you know, just they didn't look that impressive because they just were these vegan sandwiches that he got from wherever he could because, you mm-hmm. know, uh, one of the actors is vegan and couldn't be eating meat, you know. Um, and uh, and yeah, and then like, you know, the, the lunch food was spaghetti because that was something easy that he could throw together. But what I really wanted it to be was like some big kind of chicken dinner or lunch sort of thing, you know, and uh, it was Where just they each be- have like a whole chicken on their plate or just, you know, a big chicken in the middle, you know, that gets, you know, <laughs> 
put to bones by the end of the of the the lunch or something. But you yeah. know that just that, that just didn't happen because it, budget and because I didn't have a focused person for it. You know, and you know my production designer didn't do a bad job. He did a, a great job in considering that what the budget he had to work with and the constraints he had. But it just it it wasn't fair to have him be the person to do that. Like I should have mm-hmm. gotten a dedicated person for the food, and that was just a lesson I learned. And you know. It just, it goes back to the whole thing with like, you know, what's on the page and what's important and what are you trying to say to the audience? And, you know, if I'm trying to say something with the food, then the food better be a focus, you know, like I better focus on that. Um, yeah. You know, how do you think that hurt you? I feel like or hurt the audience's uh, experience of the movie. Well, I feel like. I had all these hints of these subtle hints throughout the movie of like, you know, that there's something else going on here, that these, these guys were more than just brother and sister, that they were like some sort of monster. And I feel like some people understood that there was something off and there was something wrong. And some people, most people understood that like Lou was probably going to die, which was probably not necessarily what I really wanted, you know, like I just wanted them to feel like something was off, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, but I think a lot of people didn't feel anything. Like they just felt like, oh, like what's going on here? Like there's a story about a brother and a sister and a boyfriend. Like, okay, whatever. And like they didn't, and not until they, he actually changed, did they ever even think it was going to be a horror movie. And I right. feel like if the food had been done better and, and, you know, been more, you know, like whatever, more of a focus and more luscious looking, that it would have helped play up the horror a little bit more and would have helped to, you know, these subtle hints would have been a little less subtle and more, and pe- more people would have would have caught on, you know, mm-hmm. or at least questioned what's happening. You know, it's almost like the food becomes symbolism for your movie, and by not having that symbol in there, you you didn't pull the audience in on kind of expecting what's going to happen. It's almost right. like you want to feed them a little bit to think that something that has to do with food is going to happen at the end. And even if that's paired up with thinking that Lou is going to get it, then maybe they're thinking they're going to eat him, but maybe not in the way that you actually did it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, the way the movie starts auto, 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 you know, sound wise, like it starts with crunching and eating of food and then it Mm. ends with crunching and eating of him. Like that's the, the two, the first thing you hear and the last thing you hear before the credits. Um, and th- I think that definitely helps, but I think that wasn't quite enough. Yeah. It's really, all very subtle. It's so subtle. And I feel mm-hmm. like I wanted it to be subtle, but I think I was just too subtle in the end with that movie. And I think that was my biggest failure with that. And it's hard. Cause if then, if you're like too over the top, then you turn people off because you're, you're giving them all the information rather than making them work for it. Right. Exactly. Yeah, so I don't know. I think I learned a lot from that experience, you know, and uh, it's just something that going into the next one, I'll just, you know, just focus on a little bit more and make sure that there's a person whose just job is just for the food, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting that both of our failure moments are kind of like, and maybe this is, you know, you didn't think as much on Strange Thing about how the audience was going to perceive that shot, Um but I feel like a lot of times we say like the audience is smart, so you know don't treat them stupid. But at the same time, they're not so smart that they're noticing everything in frame. Like they're not noticing that the door is not there in the background of a shot that's focused on a couple on a couch, you know, talking. Yeah. You have so to guide them, you know. You have to guide them, but it's I, that's probably the biggest challenge in filmmaking is 
leading people without giving them too much. Right. And that it is hard. I think it's easier to end up being too subtle um, or being on the other end where you're giving them too much than being like right in the middle. That sweet spot in the middle is the the big challenge with filmmaking. Yeah. I think people tend to go to the other end, like instead of being too subtle, like they generally go too (laughs) over, like too clear and too much, like, you know, hence voiceover. And they just tend to, you know, tell you everything (laughs) rather than letting you discover it um, because they're scared that you won't get it, you know? And uh, I think it's better to walk the line on the subtle side than it is to walk the line on the over-explaining side, at least in my opinion. We could have fixed your movie with voiceover. Oh, God. Yeah. My my brother is not who who he seems to be. You think that I'm a normal woman, but <laughs> I'm really got a lot more going on. Oh man! So I don't know if you you saw, but I I put a link to the uh, Odd Thomas trailer in uh, the show notes, uh, which is like the one that ha- the Alton Yelkin movie that has the worst voiceover ever, and uh, it, the voiceover is in the trailer too. Like, and I think the the voiceover that you hear in the trailer is the opening voiceover or part of the opening voiceover that the movie starts with. So you'll get to really, um, you know, experience my pain when you watch that trailer. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Check it out. Um, I, w- I want one of the listeners to take Ulrich's movie, Brother, and write a voiceover for it and oh put it out online. Just- oh, God. <laughs> yeah, and then then watch that version of it get like a million hits. Um, you that know, would be amazing. And like everyone would be like, that was the best movie ever. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I didn't know there was an original. And they'll watch it like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> it's like the uh, Blade Runner studio versus director's cut. Yeah, oh, my God. Yeah, that would be very painful if that... If that I mean, it'd be painful if somebody just did it, just to hear that movie with the voiceover, and then it'd be double painful if it was actually more liked than my version. Yeah, Cameron, get on it. Oh, man. Uh, so, yeah, wow. Well, that's already an hour, if you believe it or not. It's pretty amazing. Oh, my gosh. How, I remember when we first started recording this podcast, talking for like 40 minutes was enough. Now I feel like we just can't stop talking. Yeah, it's really hard to get things to be under an hour. Like we just, yeah, it's just we go to an hour every time, you know. I know. Even if we put in our outline like forty minutes worth of stuff, it always just expands into an hour. Yeah, pretty much. We just have so much to say about everything. I don't know. I guess so. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's probably a good thing as long as we <laughs> don't just say useless things. I don't know. <laughs> right. You you let us know, listeners. Would you rather have a forty minute episode or an hour episode every week? You let us yeah. know. Or three hours. Oh god, I know no one wants three hours. I don't think people even want an hour and ten minutes. I think yeah. an hour is long enough. You an know? hour is pretty long. Yeah. Um, cool man. Well anything else to say? Anything to add? Uh, thanks again. It's been a, been a fun year and thank you guys for these questions. These have been really awesome. We love hearing from you and we love answering your stuff. So keep it coming. Even though this was like a special episode just for listener questions, we're always happy to, to read these and yeah. answer them. Yeah. If you have questions or topic suggestions or thoughts or whatever, yeah, please just tell us because we will talk about it on the show. And like, even if we have other topics and other things that we are planned to talk about, we could probably always squeeze in at least one question um, in there. And, and we like questions. They're fun. You know, it's yeah. fun to hear from you guys. So 
Yeah. At least with the question, we know there's one person out there that's interested in the answer. <laughs> we have at least one listener if we <laughs> if we have a question. So yeah, keep yeah. keep them coming, guys. Well, since we just read the the question from Lucas Colshaw, I want to also read his iTunes review. Oh, please do. He says. Being an independent filmmaker is hard, but every week, Timothy Plain and Ulrich Purcell are there to let you know you're not alone. From their own experience from making short films to the struggles to getting their feature films produced, they give you an in-depth look at what it's like to be an indie filmmaker in today's ever-fickle climate. They're always topical, have great guests, and unlike other indie film podcasts, they aren't trying to sell you something or make you feel like you're being talked at. With Timothy and Ulrich, you feel as if you're part of the conversation. Making Movies is Hard is definitely one of the better filmmaking podcasts I've come across on iTunes, and a must-listen. Five stars. Wow. Gosh, what a great review. I mean, my God, Lucas, how could you? That's just, that's fantastic. Thanks so I much, I like man. that he said it, it feels like we're not selling him on something, because I, I do feel that. You listen to some other podcasts, and they're, they're always like... The Q&A with Jeff Goldsmith, he's always trying to like hawk this online digital magazine that he has. And then, oh, uh, yeah. you know, Indie Film Hustle is always like hawking all this other stuff like that he has. Oh, really? We're, we're not selling anything. No, I mean, the only thing that we're selling is people to watch our movies, if anything. That's and true. Uh, we don't sell that very hard, I don't think. Um, <laughs> maybe no. somewhat sometimes, but I think we're pretty good at about just talking about whatever we feel we're interested about, you know? Yeah. So I appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad that that comes across because, yeah, I don't want to feel like we're trying to sell anything. We're not trying to make money off of this. We're, we're really doing this out of the goodness of our hearts. Yeah, just because we we get a lot out of it, you know, like yeah, these conversations, of it. they change our lives basically. Yeah. Um, the other thing I liked about his review was that he said it feels conversational and that they're they're part of the conversation because that was always the goal is to have mm-hmm. this be like a conversation that isn't just one way, but that we're also hearing from people too, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that it feels that way to him is perfect, and I'm so glad that that's how he's reacting to the podcast. Yes. So what a great punctuation point to our one-year anniversary. Uh, Next week, we have a guest on the show. Yeah. And yeah, so we'll be back to the the old business. The old business, just like the new business, like the old business. (laughs) (laughs) All All right. right. I'm going to take us out. Do it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Check out our website, makingmoviesishard.com, where you can subscribe to our show notes and share your thoughts on this episode or any other episode. Send us an email at podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. If you have anything that you want to ask us about or just, you know, send us a little comment about how we're doing. And if you like the show, please tell a friend or better yet, leave a review on iTunes. Our our new goal is to make it to the number one slot if you search filmmaking in iTunes. And this week we're in the number six slot. Woo-woo. So already the, the new reviews that have gone up have helped. So keep going. That's we awesome. love that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, thanks again, Ulrich, for spending time on this Monday morning. Oh, thank you, man. It's been great. It's been fun. It's a good way to start our week. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, have a great week, guys. And thanks again. You guys are the best.